All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucksters? What the fuckadelics? What the fucknicks? The very important what the fucknicks. What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. Today on the show, you know, sometimes you get an opportunity to talk to people and you never thought you'd have that opportunity. But like recently, I got the opportunity. Uh, I was asked if uh, I would talk to Nora Jones. And I'm like, she's a great singer. That's interesting. Her dad is Ravi Shankar. That's got to be cool. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, let's talk to her. So I talked to her today. I also uh, had Pete Holmes in here, which, you know, for me is um, good. And, and it's, it's nice and it can be difficult. Me and Pete have a thing, but we've both gotten older. We've both sort of leveled off to some degree. I'd like to think I have. I think I have. I think I'm doing better. I do want to say that I am pre-recording this uh, particular intro that did, you know a couple of days beforehand. Not even that that matters, but in the world we live in, who knows what's going to happen. So if I don't address something that it seems like it requires addressing, which I don't necessarily do anyways, if it happened yesterday, I ain't going to address it because this happened a few days ago. How's that for time jumping? So look... If you have Sirius XM radio, you can tune it to uh, the E Street radio channel this week and you'll wind up hearing my interview with Bruce Springsteen at some point. They're playing it throughout the day until Sunday. It's still available here too at WTFPod.com. But I'm just telling you, just sending a little love towards the Sirius station. Bruce wanted it on, so they put it on. Thought that was pretty cool. Hey, I, you know, I'm going to be a little self-centric if I could because w- when I'm down or when I'm not feeling uh, uh, good about myself or the world or, or whatever, I, I need to talk to you. You know, my connection with you is very important. I'll read a few emails. I do not want you to think I'm doing it to, to toot my own horn per se, but there, there, I, I think there is a logic to it. Let's see if I can get to it. Subject line, Charlotte. Hey, Mark, I just wanted to say great job last night at the Night Theater in Charlotte. It's so nice as an audience member to know that the guy on stage really knows what he's doing and that if we just give in to whatever he's got planned for the next hour or so, we all go on this journey together, having some laughs and hopefully learn something. I've seen you live a couple of times now and both times it felt like I was watching something special. Keep doing what you do, Todd in North Carolina. Thank you, Todd. It was a powerful show for me because I, as you know, I've been a little tangled up. I've been a little overwhelmed. I've been a little hopeless in some respects. So entering a show like that with the need to talk and the need to connect uh, creates something very present. I can't do it without being present. This is the thing. I can't just do an act. I got an act. I got stuff I'm working through. I got you know jokes that I, I know I've done many times. I leave a lot of room for whatever happens and to you know have feelings within the thing. That's just the way I do it. And that's why I'm going to read this letter. And this is not, you know, again, I'm not trying to toot my own horn. Obviously, I like hearing this stuff. But I just wanted to address it because I'm going to have Pete on. We're going to talk about, you know, comedy stuff. 
Subject line, Charlotte Show, question number two. Hey, Mark, thanks for the laughs tonight, man. Show was incredible. And uh, you and uh, Blair killed it. I was the guy who asked you about the first stand-up show. I took a few questions. I do that occasionally. Appreciate your answer, and the museum joke was hilarious. I actually performed one of my first jokes I ever wrote for the people in Charlotte because of that question. I wanted to ask you another question when you peeked out the curtain, but five humans were in my way. Here's my second try. How do you deal with the fear of bombing? Thanks again for the show. Definitely coming out to another one if I can. Manny, how do you deal with the fear of bombing? It's always there, man. It's always there. You just deal with it. And eventually, hopefully, uh, your fear tends to go away a bit. And you find a a sort of weird freedom in bombing. It's necessary. If you got to try new shit or you take risks, you're going to bomb. But that's just part of the fucking job. I mean, you shouldn't bomb when you get to a certain level. You should, you know, have enough material and be responsible enough to your audience and professional enough to try to put on the best show possible. But even if that doesn't go well, that's just a liability of the business, of the of the craft. But the fear, I don't know. I'll let you know when it goes away. But But talking about bombing, I talked to Pete Holmes for a little bit. Uh, he's got a new show on HBO, which I'm okay with. It's called Crashing. You can watch episode one on HBO now, and then it's on every Sunday night at 1030. And we, it's about him starting out as a comic. So this is sort of a comics conversation. So enjoy it, uh, comedy lovers and comedians. And, and me and Pete, are, are, we're getting along all right. So this is me and Pete Holmes. <laughs> Somebody like me, I I like uh, having a little bit of chaos in the house. Yeah, like the dogs peed in every room of the house, <laughs> and that's actually good for me. Yeah, you know why? we don't we don't we, I, because I'm, I it, it uncovered ways I didn't even know that I was uptight. Oh yeah, because like the dog would pee, would have company over, he'd get excited, and then it'd pee smiling, looking yeah. at you as yeah. this hot piss yeah. pools on the ground. Yeah, and this dark cloud. It, it was like despair adjacent. It oh, wasn't yeah? just anger. I was yeah. like. Fuck the universe! Like it was worse than the triggered sum of its you. parts. It triggered me in this way that I oh, couldn't understand. I mean, what, what do you make of that? I have no idea. Well, I do have. I have a theory, and I wonder it's a control issue. I think my mother is a little bit like a needy dog. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a terrible thing to say. But when we first got my dog, like I really enjoyed him, and then my yeah. mom came and visit and kind of ruined it because I was like, "Oh, this is this is how I kind of felt growing up." Was I have this thing, and sometimes it pisses on the floor, and sometimes it loves you, yeah. and, and yeah. you're not sure what to do. Right, right. But and with you, the dog, you give it a fucking bone, and it's fine. Sure, you clean, you clean up. It's a dog. <laughs> it's fine. With your mother, it's ongoing. It is. Ongoing. There's no, uh, there's no bone to give. I wrote myself an email, and it was like, "How to talk to my mother." You know, you I mean? wrote yourself an email. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like, read this every time before you sort call. of like a, a, a oh, oh, a pep talk, a little pep talk. Yeah, a, uh, know, some uh, some uh, guiding points. A, a guiding. It's almost like a translation. Yeah, it's almost like English sure. to mom translations. Because yeah. sometimes I get that impulse to call home because you have like a happiness uh, surplus. Yeah, I, that never drives <laughs> me to call home. If it, if I want to waste that surplus, that's that's what it is. Yeah. Well, you're pushing the money. I also forward. don't. I don't suffer from happiness surpluses too often, but I I, I understand the idea. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I'm like I think I can handle it. Oh no, I definitely know that one. It's like here's my window. Yes. I'm feeling good about myself. Yes. And sometimes they double. 
the money and they're nice and sometimes yeah. they take the money. <laughs> but Right. But also usually those are the moments where you're like, I have boundaries right now. That's right. Uh, I'm going to try it. That's right. That's I'm, it. Yeah. I feel strong. I feel, right. It's like after therapy, I'll call my right. mother. Right. I'll be like, here we go. I, I just talked yeah. to a guy. I made it sound so feel good. simple. I feel good. <laughs> and then she makes me make another appointment. But uh, <laughs> but but what what's on that list? It's sort of like don't do this. It's don't speak from your head. It's like yeah. it's like heart stuff. It's like I was just in New York promoting the show, which, yeah. which is why I'm here, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity. Thanks for having me. And I went to New York to do like it was crazy busy. It was like you do the Today Show and yeah. then you do this and then then the, oh, you had you, your four you, seconds on the Today Show exactly. And you <laughs> you got to get up at like five three three people talking at the same time and. <laughs> <laughs> you got to figure out how to say two things. And there's so many things you can't say, like, and it's live. Well, there's just literally no time. There's no time. To I do did, anything. I said nothing, and nothing much was accomplished. Yeah, they I'm, sit there. They set it up by explaining the show entirely. Yep. You say one thing. One of them says something. You say something back, and they're like, okay. Yep, that's it. Thanks for getting up. What else did you do? Well, then I went on the same day we did like Colbert and Charlie Rose yeah. and uh, and uh, I'm forgetting Rachel Ray. I did the morning show. Oh with yeah, Rachel Ray. So I'm telling my mom that it's like back to back to back stuff, and all she says like you the fantasy is you want your mother to be like, oh my god, that's so exciting. Yeah, Charlie yeah. Rose. Oh my god, that's so exciting. Right. I can't believe you're doing Colbert. What's right. that like? And instead she just goes, well, then you're close to Boston. You can visit. Oh right, right. And then I come at it, which is which comes across as like just erasing. Everything yeah. I just said. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just like, well, then dismissing your accomplishments. How does this serve me? Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? And I'm just like, oh, fuck my face. So I would go, Mom, you don't understand. You're not listening to me. Yeah. I'm very busy. And she's like, well, just stay one more day. And I'm yeah. like, well, I got to fly back. Right. The premiere is that day. And, right. And then you're like, you don't even know what my premiere is. You're right. like getting yeah. like a baby. When uh, the email I wrote to myself was like, uh, when will you visit? Here's what you say. Oh, that would be so great. Yeah. I wish I could. That would be so fun. I love you so much. Ooh. I love coming home. Ooh, wow. It's nice to spend time really with you. buttering it up. You know what? You don't have to say all of those things, yeah. but that's the attitude I that say, I think I can't. <laughs> I have no time. I just saw you a month, four months ago. <laughs> but you know, you start to get a sense for what people want. Mm, right. And my mom just wants, she doesn't need the visit. She just needs me to say, I wish I could. Well, that's right. But that's always one of those weird things when they want you to visit for a day. It's like, what do you think happens that day? Buddy, that's all I say. She's like, I wish you could stay one more day. I'm like, mom, yeah. three days is the max. We right. start arguing after right. that. What she, you know, I know, I think I know what she's expecting. She's expecting seven-year-old wiffle cut boy to come home. Oh, yeah. And be like. And he might on the fourth day. <laughs> I might refer. Yeah. And, and it's very weird for her to be like, no, mom, I'm getting a hotel. Yeah. No, mom, I don't want you to oh, yeah. sit on my lap when my girlfriend is in the Yeah, room. yeah, yeah. Or yeah, ever. Yeah, or yeah, ever. Yeah. Could you not do that? Could you not? Could we try to keep it appropriate? Yeah. Just, oh, yeah. I've used, uh, I've used girlfriends and wives to sort of shield me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I tell them, I'm like, Mark, just don't let her. I've been in a situation. I hope this isn't too fucked up. But what? You know, I sure have been it in is. a situation where girlfriend here. Yeah. Uh, mother here. So yeah. to my right is my girlfriend. To my left is my mother. Um, girlfriend's hand here, kind of in her thigh. Yeah. Mother's hand slightly closer on the other side. <laughs> closer to the back. You're like yeah. two romantic yeah. things. Not a good threesome. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Not one of the good ones. Yeah. And you know, the, the, you know, it's actually, you know, shows like yours and, and any talk of boundaries. Yeah. It was very helpful, but very hard. 
to put those up. And that's something that we kind of explore on Crashing. It's, yeah. It's a hard thing to Well, do. yeah, you're breaking everyone's boundaries with your needy-ass self. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't... I did not... I, I don't know if there was a press package, but I watched the first one last night. So did I, really? I, I did watch it. I can't believe it. I knew the idea for the show because I talked to you or talked to Judd about it. It's somewhat based on truth. Yep. Uh, I know that, you know, you, you, you did get a divorce, but it, the way that you kind of, um, you do feel bad for you, yeah. but, but, but I, you know, like with me in, in that relationship with you, I, it, it goes from, I feel bad for him to, I get mad at you. Yeah, I understand. No, I get it. I completely get it. In fact, when I watch the show, I'm rooting for my wife to leave. Right. In the first 30 seconds, I'm like, oh, this guy's not giving her what she needs. And, and, and that was very important to me. It was almost like a therapeutic exercise to consider her side of things. Well, when you were writing that, I mean, like you, it, it obviously didn't go down like the real thing, did no, it? No, no. You know, it's emotionally true. It's not factually true. I didn't walk in on them. Right. It was more she told me. Right. It was even more annoying. I was even more oblivious. Right. She was oh, very emotionally. It had gone on for a while. It was going on for months. And like, I was just like, gee, we seem a little bit distant. Right. Like, we haven't had sex in a while yeah and i blamed it on the fact that we had moved upstate yeah there was this physical distance yeah. i was going into the city to do shows right right and then she was having this affair unfortunately right <laughs> well this guy well it was funny because the guy that you chose you know has to be the you know in some ways the the worst scenario yeah the, the guy who's like immediately negotiating yeah and trying to make you feel better about you know this inevitable thing yeah yeah, yeah yeah and not really taking any responsibility for it at all he's almost like two the character is played by george basil who's amazing and he's like where'd you find that guy he i met him at a party and i was like what is your deal why aren't you famous you're so funny he's an improv guy oh he is and in new york or here he i met him out here but i think he was in new york for a mm -hmm. time and I don't know if you ever run into those people and you're just like, I don't get it. You're like right. a funny, a funnier yeah. or Matthew McConaughey type. And yeah. like, this is amazing. Right. And then years later, because show business takes fucking forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm right. like, yeah, I think I have something yeah. for you. And he came in and killed it. But he's almost like too evolved. He's so evolved in that like hippie way that he's like, it's all in the game, man. Yeah. Yes, I fucked your wife. Yeah, but like, yeah. This is how it works. Yeah. This is the pain There's that's no gonna. And you're like, I'm not, I don't want to hear this shit. You fucked my wife. Well, what are you gonna do in that moment? And I, you know, look, I love Artie, and he certainly shined in this fucking episode. Yeah, he's great. I mean, thank God he was there. The show would have been garbage. But I, I <laughs> <laughs> he really is a bit. I know you're breaking balls. He, he's. <laughs> I have to say, I know you're breaking balls. Yeah. But in all seriousness. Artie's a huge reason why the show got picked up. He's a, a huge reason why the pilot and a lot of- Is he recurring or- He's in four out of eight and he's amazing. But in that scene, you know, he we had this very well scripted- oh, Before uh, the first, uh, the scene where after the comedy show? Yeah, after the okay. comedy show. Yeah. He takes me to buy a piece of pizza and we had it all scripted out and Artie hasn't acted in 14 years and you're watching him in this thing and you're like, what the fuck? This guy is amazing. Yeah. And we had it scripted. But we started rolling and we shot it on film. And the reason I mentioned that is because there's only f like 12 minutes in a reel. Yeah. So we started rolling and Judd- Why'd you do that? Judd wanted it to look pretty like a movie. Interesting. Because there's so many people that you, know, you would think would be real holdouts with the film that have really kind of just said, fuck it. I know. Scorsese yeah. is, is a, a big standout. Friedkin. Oh. I think it might be possible to make digital look like film, but I think you need someone amazing uh -huh. doing it. Uh -huh. Like It might be possible, but you still need a lot of effort right. to do it. So we made it kind of foolproof. Yeah. 
But we start rolling the film and we have the script, like I said. And then instead of doing it, Judd just goes, Artie, talk about uh, what you would tell a comedian who's naive and doesn't know anything about the world. And then Artie just talked for 15 minutes. <laughs> the whole reel, not one line of the script. Right. At the end, they roll out and go, you hear the sound of the film. Yeah. Everyone applauded. Like everybody just cheered. <laughs> it was such a heartwarming moment for Artie, yeah. who everyone's rooting for. Yeah. You know, he, get, he can sometimes get in his own way or whatever he tell you the same. Really? Sometimes? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's he, great. I love him. I love him. It. And he was so funny. It had, it had some real, he wears his heart on his sleeve and that's what we needed. And kind of like what you've done to me in ways that I appreciate it. Right. Also just funny He's a little more diplomatic, yeah. He gives you that like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Do you think you're just going to waltz in and get a show? He wears his heart on his sleeve in the way that somebody who couldn't go any lower has to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like there's nothing that's going to happen to Artie. That, that hasn't already happened. Yeah, in a way. The yeah. worst has already happened. And that emboldens him, I think. Well, it, but it also gives him this very unique perspective mm -hmm. because he's still somehow, when he's engaged in conversation and he's not fucked up, right. you know, he is a very wise yep. kind of dude. And that's one of the things we want to show on the show is the unlikely canopy. Here's this guy. And he seems like the guy that would have it together. You know, he's he's religious and he's clean and he's he's married. Yeah, you lean on that pretty early. So, like to set up the show, I, I should say that it's about Pete starting out as a comic, about you starting out as a yeah, comic. Yeah, sure. You, you, your wife, you catch her with another dude, and now you're just alone. You leave the house that you had together, and you're wandering. Yeah, but you're committed to comedy. That's it. Yeah, and, and secretly in love with comedy the whole time, which is right. which is a dirty but secret. <laughs> you're you're listening. You go. You focus in on the Jesus picture in the kitchen. Yeah, you're listening to Jesus tapes. Yeah, Joel Osteen. Yeah, can I tell you something about that? Okay, I I think you'll enjoy this story uh -huh. because I used to like Joel Osteen a lot. I, yeah. I would listen to your best life now on sure. audio tape, mm -hmm. and it's just you can hear him smiling, and he's just like you know God's favor. He wants you to step into His favor. Yeah, yeah. He wants you to be happy and yeah. rich and yeah. successful. Yeah. And all these things. I really loved it, and then my wife fucked another guy. <laughs> yeah. And then I laid on my bed. I was trying to cheer myself well, up. Well, in the car, you put that back on after. Exactly. Yeah. And I, ta I, I take it out. Like, it doesn't. Oh. And that's based on this moment. As I put, put it in my ears, and he's like, God is watching you. God <laughs> is protecting his children. And I was just like, not only did it not make any sense, I couldn't even understand a time in my life when it would have made sense. <laughs> right. And that's kind of what we're showing when Pete ejects the CD. Oh. Is there's a paradigm shift. It's right. Like, he used to uh, think I don't know that, if I picked up on that specifically. Uh, it takes a few viewings. Yeah. <laughs> well, now you're asking a lot. <laughs> you know, it's always on there. Not today, not tomorrow, but okay. sometime. Yeah. But that's that's the the feel that we're going for. Is right. Pete had an idea that God was going to protect him and that he was kind of in the protection plan. Right, and but you don't lose your faith. No, but it's going to get chipped and, and reconstructed for sure throughout oh, yeah? the first season. And that's something that's very exciting uh, to me because you don't see a lot of religion on shows. No, you, you don't. And, and also you don't see that, that struggle yeah. of, a, of a guy who is a believer and, and really uses it and relies on it. Right. And then, you know, has a crisis of faith. Well, that's what I think gives the show stakes. Yeah. Is most people, you know, your wife leaves you in a show or a movie. The next scene is the guy at a bar uh, trying to get some strange, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like you just go out and fuck it, or, or destroying his wife somehow, or yeah. doing coke or whatever. I right. had people tell me they were like, "Hey, I've been there. Do some coke." Yeah, 
Literally, people. Oh, no, I, I just the, get some coke. <laughs> yeah, I did everything after after I broke up with my second wife. I did everything outside of drinking and drugging. Is that right? Well, I mean, mostly women. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's how uh, people that are they think it's a good idea, but ultimately, <laughs> you know, it's a good idea if you want to like actually. Uh, you know, ruin sex for yourself, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Have really fucked up associations with well, it, or just just sort of like you know, once you start using sex specifically as a drug, yeah, uh, you might uh, damage the possibility of it becoming an intimate connection ever again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is the the arc of the show in terms of uh, uh, action? You just move from place to place. Well, that was what made it feel like a TV show. Yeah. Obviously, I was like, oh, this is what happened to me. I grew up very religious. I married the first girl I ever dated. Yeah. And then after six years, she fucked a small Italian man named Rocco. So uh-huh. that's obviously my story. Right. So, but the, what made it feel like a TV show was I was like, oh, then every episode I'm staying with a different comedian. Right. I don't have any money. I don't have any reason. I'm not good. I can't make money. And it's kind of telling the story of how people like TJ Miller in real life, John Mulaney in real life, Nick Kroll in real life really did rise to the occasion. So that made it feel episodic. So where we're going- What do you mean, in real life they did? In real life, yeah. They helped you out at that time. A lot of people knew you. Kyle Kinane knew you. Yeah, a lot of great, these were great guys that came for emotional support. When you were really going through this. Exactly. I'm I'm sure, have you experienced the same thing where it's like, I'm talking to a degenerate right now and he's really healing my heart. Oh no, yeah, (laughs) that's what comedy is. <laughs> Except we're the degenerates healing our own hearts. Most well, but of the we're time. All, it's a big degenerate bunch. Yeah, it is a big degenerate. But bunch. they're sensitive guys. And then I, that's one of the stories that I wanted to tell was like there is this thing that not a lot of people report on, yeah. where we can help each other. I, I know there's backstabbing and there's competition, but I, I don't even have to ask. I'm sure you've helped people whether it's financially or emotionally or whatever it yeah, is. Of course. And that's what makes our little scene go round. Yeah, and even the hardest of them, seemingly hardest of the people. Yeah. Are you Go usually... to a tell first. You oh, know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, these yeah. are the sweethearts. Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> so where it's going, I mean, we have Sarah Silverman, we have TJ Miller, we have Hannibal makes appearances. These are kind of the guest stars for the first season. Yeah. And then we watch Pete. I like to say it's about, like, a breakup with his wife, a breakup with his parents. Yeah. And a breakup with his traditional understanding of God. So it's like everything falling apart slowly. How, how was the creative process? How did it work? Judd and I would break the stories typically. I'd pitch him a story that me and some of the writers had come up with. And then Judd would like take that and go like, it's only like a good example. You'd be like, well, uh, what if Pete works uh, on a tour bus? Like right. that's a job that comedians get. And he'd be like, yeah, but you got to get rid of your stuff. So what if your wife has a yard sale? Yeah. <laughs> and then you'd just go with that. You go yeah. like, okay. It was almost like visiting the Oracle. You know, you sure, go. And sure. But it's just the something. two of you breaking after the writer's room. Yes, it would often be he and I, and then at sometimes Judah Did you get Miller, the board out? I would just frantically be taking notes, and then I'd pitch him a story, and if he liked it, I'd go off and write it. I, I, I like dialogue and jokes. Where'd the writers come in? Who was writing on it? We didn't have a traditional writer's room, in a sense. We yeah. gathered comedians to share stories, so we right. would get the tone of... What's it like going to Albany and opening for a guy who's not your right. style of comedy and would share war stories and stuff? Right. But then a lot of it was so personal. And I know you know what this is like. It's like, you guys, 
only I can write the episode about my parents. Right. I'm not going to hear pitches right. on what my dad says when he says pass the uh, ketchup because he says pass the Irish gravy. That's right. what he says. Right. We had a lot of uh, different heads to the monster. You know, yeah. we, we, monster or beast or whatever you want to say. I'm in, I'm in the room and, and the writers are trying to please me. Yeah. I'm trying to please Judd. Yeah. And at the end of the day, this is a Judd Apatow show. Right. I would, in fact, we were joking. We're like, oh, look at all the reviews. People are really responding to the fact that Pete is innocent and kind of sweet and, and clean. Yeah. And he was like, remember, you were pitching me that in the you, you meet a girl and you go down on her and you start crying while you're going down on her. Because yeah. I thought it would be like a funny like, yeah. set piece. Sure. He was like, see? He didn't say it, but he was yeah. like, yeah. this is why you need me, baby. <laughs> and I was like, you're fucking A right, man. And your life is good? Life is good. Just got engaged. I don't know if you know that. Really? Yeah. How long have you been with her? I'm doing... <laughs> I love your... You got concerned all of a sudden. <laughs> Congratulations. <I'm> doing... <laughs> I don't know. I say the right thing right away. No, it was beautiful and honest. I, I'm i doing a show about a marriage falling apart as I'm getting engaged, which is very healing, actually. Yeah. It, it feels kind of cosmically beautiful. But she, we've been dating four years. Oh, yeah. And we've been living together for uh, like two and a half almost. Oh, that's exciting. And she's the best. Oh, good. She's not in show business. Mm -hmm. She's just a sweet, excited And the last time I person. think I saw you or had a conversation with you where you were looking to buy a house or... Yeah, well, that's where we've been living for two oh, yeah? years. Yep. I, you helped me with that. I was like, what is it? You're, again, you're one of my dads. I go, what's a down payment? <laughs> yeah, what's yeah. a reasonable amount of interest? <laughs> yeah. And you'd be like, well, this, yeah. this, this, this. And you have a good place? I, I love where we live. We live in the east side. and Over here? Uh, well, not far from here. Yeah, Los Feliz. Yeah. yeah. And if I can't walk to things, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not going. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm kind of bad like that. Oh, you still hold on to the walking? <laughs> I've I've managed to keep a walk life. Well, there's only a couple of places you can do that here. That and, uh, This and, is one and, of them. Yeah, that's definitely one but of them. But you can walk to the movies. You can sure. walk to a yeah, no, no, yeah. It's like this neighborhood. Yeah. It's that same sort of feel. No movies here. But yeah, you can walk down there and there's people doing things. Colorful pizza places. <laughs> yeah, sure. Like that a, a, that a, happened. Yeah, that's very yeah, nice. Yeah, that all turned around. So life is kind of absurdly good. And you're touring at all or not yet? We've been touring to promote the show. Yeah. We have one, I think it's sold out, but we have, I don't know when this is coming out. But I think we're going to put it up Thursday. Okay, then it's over. <laughs> what do you mean? What do you think? I was going to put it up tomorrow? No, I, I wasn't expecting to plug the dates, but we did a little tour with Artie and Judd and some of the other people on. Oh, yeah? Which going to Philly, man. And it's Artie fans. Oh, wow. I got off stage. I was like, they they yelled, show your tits twice. And he was like, are you kidding? That's good. <laughs> He's like, you only got two show your tits. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so they were they were rowdy in Philly, but they were great. And then New York. They liked you? I did okay. Yeah. I got back sweat. I, I don't judge by laughs. I judge by back sweat. Yeah, Philly's hard. I It wasn't my favorite. Uh -huh. <laughs> I, I, I hope to come back. And I'm grateful for my fans that were there. But some of the Artie people were like, who is this guy? I do a lot of jokes about like, we're all a little bit gay is yeah, like a yeah. theme through some yeah. of my jokes. Yeah. And they're like, not me, bro. Yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. I have a joke about like, everybody knows what a good looking man looks like. Mm -hmm. And they were like, no, we don't. Like I felt them go, no, we don't. <laughs> You're up in it. You were up against the Philly man thing. <laughs> and Artie's like, yeah. as long as they don't, they knocked out Santa Claus at an Eagles game. He's like, you yeah. did fine. Yeah. <laughs> so really, yeah. They're crazy. Yeah. And it's really great watching Jed. I don't know if you've seen him do stand-up. No, he's great. Lately. Yeah, and I see him a lot. He's been crushing and he's doing a special. And, it's, and I think that's one of the reasons why, for sure, that we did this show. Was I, have, I pitched it to him while he was shooting Trainwreck. Yeah. And when he was shooting Trainwreck, he was going out with Amy Schumer to do yeah. like, the cellar. Yeah. 
And then I and so he was living that sort of like what's it like coming back into the world. Yeah, it was funny because he sort of quit doing comedy as maybe you know a kind of strong middle. Yeah, sure. And exactly. now, like, yeah, but like I at first when he was coming back around, I was like, oh god, what's he gonna do? Yeah. But then like he's got some great bits. I, love, I see him a lot at the store because all I do is work the store and he's always there and we go out to eat sometimes and I watch him do his jokes and I, there's a couple of jokes I'll ask him to do. He's, I like him, yeah. yeah, yeah I yeah. like the jokes he's doing. It's always, angst, it gives me anxiety when a, when a famous person starts doing stand-up again or at all. But, but like, when you think of that famous Ugh. person as being one of the four, you know, pre- preeminent comedy writers yeah. of our generation, the it's guy sort of who, like he knows how to write jokes. Like even when he quit doing stand-up, he was writing jokes for people. Right. You know what I mean? And that's why I like I live tweeted the uh, the premiere and it it was so fun to say that was Jed. That was Jed. That oh, that's Jed. funny. And that was Artie. Camille, do you <laughs> like your life? This is one, one of the my best fucking punchlines ever. <laughs> I enjoyed visiting your cat by the way. That's that's always the secret way to Marin's Oh yeah, Buster's away is the only sociable cat I have. My new kitten. He came and, and enjoyed. he's really in, you know, kind of liking people. I got him purring real yeah. fast, and that, yeah. as a performer, that makes me happy. Oh, good. I know you can tell I was raised with cats because the command I most often give my dog is "Go live your life." <laughs> what do you want? What do you like, want from me? What now? Yeah. What now? Yeah. Well, you got. He needs the shit. You got to deal with it. I know. Cats, cats are. See, cats are good. People think they're assholes. They're good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You just, it's like, you know, if you're not, look, the needy thing is, you know, I know I'm needy at times, but like with the pets, like I like having to earn it. Me too. Yeah. The dog is just giving it to you unconditionally. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't really know. I know you might think that I like that. I like the cat. No, yeah. Like I used more. to do a joke. I said, I don't have. I don't want to have a dog. I, I I don't want anything more needy than me in my house. That's right. Yeah. They're very codependent. Yeah. And your cat, who knows where your cat's off learning to meditate, and your dog is just looking at you like, <laughs> what are we doing now? Yeah, what yeah, now? What yeah, now? Yeah, what yeah, now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what happens now? Are you just going to promote and then take a break or what? I mean, we're hoping to hear about a season two. That that, that quickly. Knock, knock and wood. You know, I think, I'm not sure. I feel like HBO's MO is a couple episodes, two, three episodes, and uh-huh. maybe they'll make a decision. And I'm, I've already been writing season uh-huh. two, and we've been meeting kind of informally. Yeah. No pickup, uh, but just like meeting with like Greg Fitzsimmons and Ian Edwards. Some of these guys are coming in. To write? Uh, just to tell stories and just be like, hey, we showed them the season. It's like, where do you think this is going? Uh-huh. What worked? What didn't work? Oh, cool. And then, so I just sent Judd uh, the second season premiere idea. Because I, li- I like writing it and being like, just read it and yeah, tell yeah. me if it works instead of like an outline or something. Right. And then, I mean... Did you hear back from him? Not yet. Okay. In fact, I'm mentioning it on this podcast because so, yeah. I, I know he's going to listen and he'll be like, I got to read that. <laughs> I forgot he sent that. <laughs> I marked it as spam. <laughs> well, so, congratulations. Mark, it means a, it means a lot. I, I'm happy for you. I, as you know, you're an inspiration to me. Thank you. I think you're great and you're killing it. Thank Springsteen. You. Come I'm on, doing all get right. the fuck out of my I'm face. Doing right. But I mean, our dynamic deserves to be... You know, we've matured a little bit, but especially... Yeah. Well, I'm I, holding a lot in. I don't know if that's uh, maturity, but... You know what Judd said to me? He was like, what? he was like, tell Mark that mm. y- you you kind of went, you know, you're a sweet guy, obviously. You went grumpy mask. Yeah. I went happy mask. Right. Same guy underneath. Oh, We're both a, afraid. Like, we're both right. scared. Yes. We have compulsions. That's we have issues a, with our families. Mm-hmm. That's a good observation by Mr. Apatow. That's what he does. I know. We pick different personas, yeah. but they're really... That's again. That's kind of what the show's about. Like, it's I, a I wish. It, I wish it was that conscious. Like, yeah. I just picked this one because I the know. other one felt so scary. Well, we picked the one that made us feel safe. Yeah. That's why this. I think you might enjoy. Duncan Trussell said this to me about our egos. 
because a lot of the spiritual work I do is like trying to minimize your ego. Yeah. He's like, don't fuck, don't hate your ego. Your ego is what was there when you were scared and the world was legs. Yeah. It's all fucking grownups and they're all weird. <laughs> Duncan's a poet. They got booze, breath, yeah. and they're, they're frightening. The ego is what picked you up and protected you. <laughs> yeah. So don't send it into the woods like <laughs> Harry and the Hendersons. You say thank you and you put them aside when you don't, yeah. when you're like, hey, take a break, go it's eat a, some bananas. It's an ongoing negotiation. That's right. Yeah. But don't fucking spit in his face. Yeah, or try to disconnect it totally. I was afraid and I went sweet, Pete. And obviously, you and I are both three-dimensional people. Yeah. I have my bitter grumpy, and you yeah. have your sweet happy. But the majority of was what we chose to make us feel safe. Everybody wants to feel safe. Yeah. It's and a, free. How we doing? I feel good. I feel pretty good. <laughs> I don't feel safe, but I feel good by talking to you. I feel a little safer than I did when I came in. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming by. Thanks, buddy. Crashing. Pete's show is now on HBO. It's... Uh, you can watch episode one on HBO now, and uh, and also it's on every Sunday at 10.30 p.m. There was this weird moment that actually happened when I was in Durham. I was kind of wandering around, you know, looking lost, uh, you know, wanting to talk to people because, you know, I didn't want to sit alone in the, in the hotel room with my own brain. And it was just an interesting moment because Jay Leno was actually performing in Durham the same night that I was. So I was just wandering the street and some dude comes up to me and I initially thought that, oh, that's nice. Someone recognized me. But he immediately launched into, hey, man, I just uh, look, I was just down at the hospital. I had a the test. I got diabetes. And now like I'm I'm out. I'm, I'm on the street and I took the bus in from, uh, you know, and then like I got to get back on the bus and I need money because I don't I only have two dollars and I got to you know I need another need I need another few dollars to get the bus back and I you know I, I just got tests done you know it was the it was the uh, classic I need money for a bus it was a rendition of the uh, I just need a couple more bucks to get my bus ticket uh, um, pitch which I've heard from uh, many people but you know I was feeling you know. A little, little, a little down, a little open, and you know, I generally give some money uh, if I, you know, you make those decisions in the moment, or you have a policy. I'm a momentary decision maker, but but I gave the guy five bucks, and I I, I absolutely had no uh, belief that it would go to a bus ticket. I didn't know what it would go to, but I didn't I didn't think bus ticket was where it was going. But I was okay with that. I wanted to help whatever it was he needed to feed or wherever he needed to travel or whatever. But then he started walking with me. He's like, thanks, man. He's like, just walking with me. And he goes, I just saw Jay Leno. I just, I just talked to Jay Leno. He was just hanging out. So not only did he not know who I was, which is fine, uh, but I did give him some money and that's fine too. But now he's going to tell me that he was talking to Jay Leno. And I'm like, oh yeah, he's he's a nice guy, right? Yeah, he's a nice guy. Yeah, he was just walking down the street, you know. And he, I just said, hey, I like you, I like you, Jay Leno. And and I'm like, uh, I said, uh, uh, did he give you any money? And he goes, no, no. But you know, Jay, he's probably got just got a credit card. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's probably it. I don't know what that story means, uh, but somehow in that moment. There's two ways to go with it. I mean, I could have felt like a heel or a mark or uh, stupid uh, because I, you know, I, I knowingly uh, gave some money to somebody who was uh, lying to me and 
seemed to be pretty chipper. Maybe not. I don't know. But in that moment, I, I chose to feel superior to, uh, to Jay Leno. That's where I went with that. Yeah. That's who I was that day in that minute. Nora Jones. I never thought I'd talk to Nora Jones. But here we are. Uh, her most recent album, her sixth solo record, is called Daybreaks. She's on a tour throughout March. You can go to norajones.com. This is me and Nora Jones talking. You know, I went through this flurry of like insanity this morning just to clean the house. I didn't want you to walk into a oh, house. Oh, please. You haven't seen my house. Cat shit. And <laughs> my house is a mess. Is I, it? Yeah, it's like stressing me out. I go to bed when the kids go to bed just so I don't have to be in the stressful part of the house. And I just hide in my bedroom. Just hoping that it'll clean just itself. Just hoping, that, just pretending like the mess isn't some, there. Some fairy will come and clean the mess. Pretty much. How many kids? I have two. They're nine months and almost three. Oh my God, so it's chaos all the time. Yeah, it's just a little chaotic. Relentless. Yeah, it's but all it's good. A, it's exciting? Yeah, they're sweet and yeah. awesome. And you live in Brooklyn? Yeah. So do you come out here much? Yeah, to work, but I I never end up having as much time as I'd like to have to just enjoy oh, yeah? California. Yeah. Where did you grow up? I grew up in da- uh, outside of Dallas, Texas, in Grapevine, Texas. But you weren't born there? No, I was born in New York. Like in... I- in like ha- in the city yeah yeah and then I, I i lived in the city until i was maybe three or four and then we moved down so to texas not a lot of big memories of the cities i have a couple of weird like my first memory is a dream about being in a playground in washington square park and biting my lip off but other than that no really <laughs> yeah that was that, weird that vivid memory stuck, that is stuck with you yeah and why did you guys decide to go to dallas have you done any research on that my mom is from oklahoma Really? And um, she went to college in Dallas, so I think it was just kind of like going, going home, home without having to go back to Oklahoma for... <laughs> right. Yeah. And your dad is Ravi Shankar. Yeah. But you didn't really get along with him for a while. Well, I mean, it's not that I didn't get along with yeah. him. I I saw him here and there for sure when right. I was a baby. I don't yeah. really remember all sure, that. I sure. probably spent the most time with him then. And yeah. Then, and then over the years, I would see him sporadically. And then after I was like nine, I didn't see him till I was 18. And then we became really close. Really? Until he died a few years ago. And so it, like from age 18 on, I had a, I had, I worked really hard on my relationship with him and he did too. And, and oh, that's, it well, got that, better. <laughs> so you got to know him. Yeah. And I was, you know, it's lucky because he, he was old then and he, he ended up, <laughs> He was know, old when he had you? He was actually so I'm I'm thankful that he you know he stuck around a little, and he was in good shape and he played and I got to see him play a ton. Yeah, I have um like I I have gotten into some some of his music somehow. That stuff it, do you do you find that that not that it's genetic but that any of that stuff registers with you? It's a really funny thing for me because I've always kind of been yeah, music has always come very natural to right, me. Right. Right. And, but not Indian music <laughs> right. necessarily, right. Um, but country music, sure. you know, growing up in Texas, hearing yeah. all the stuff my grandparents were listening to in Oklahoma. Um, I think definitely I have a musical ability from my genetics. I think 
I've got to because I've, I've it's always just felt very natural. natural. I've talked to Derek Trucks about you know that weird primal space of those kind of that type of music. Yeah. And there's a couple of musics that just do that where your brain just kind of drops into something that doesn't require any definition at all, mm-hmm. and you just you're just in this primal zone. <laughs> do you? Uh, that's like I I think it's pretty like if you have that genetically if you can feel that I think that's the core of music somehow. Does yeah. that make sense? I know or am I just mean. reading into it? No, no, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, for me, music is at its best when you're not thinking about it at all. What did your mother do? What was she sort of doing with her life when you were growing up? She was a script supervisor in film when I was born. And yeah. then in Texas, I think she did that for a couple of years. And then she got uh, went back to school to get her real estate license. Oh, start selling the real estate. Yeah, so I went to a lot of empty abandoned houses with her <laughs> growing up and like did cartwheels in these weird living rooms. Waiting for, uh, you know, uh, sort of uh, hopeful looking couples. Yeah, <laughs> hoping a serial killer didn't come oh, yeah, in the yeah. night when we were getting ready for the house, open house. Um, yeah, she had like the first generation of a cell phone because she was nervous to go out at night to these houses. Sure. It was, I remember just, it was so big Giant and weird. cell phone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so she was a real estate agent for like five years. Is she still around? Yeah, she's here helping me, helping me out with kids in L.A. Oh, you brought the kids? <laughs> yeah. It, oh my God! <laughs> I know. You traveling with those kids? <laughs> yeah. You, you have to. You have to deal with the contemptful look of other passengers as you enter the plane. Yeah, anything goes on the plane. They can watch anything they want. They can eat any kind of food yeah. they want as long as they stay quiet. <laughs> It's so funny. Like I, I don't. It doesn't bother me as much as some people. The screaming child, really. That's good. But uh, <laughs> for but, you. <laughs> but it's very funny that a lot of times they don't start screaming until like right when you're landing. I know. I think. I think. It's the yeah. Ear thing. It's probably a pressure thing. Probably the ear thing. My kids tend to fall asleep right when we're landing. Oh, they fall asleep right. So <laughs> yeah. they cry the whole way, and then no, they, they've yeah. been pretty good. I, I can't. I gotta touch wood there. Oh, but, good. Yeah. So, so in Texas. Texas is very specific, and and it yeah, sure is. It's like its own country, right? It is. I grew up in New Mexico, and I, I, you know, I don't. I grow. I've grown to like a lot of places that I, I've judged because they are unique. Yeah. But Texas really is its own country. It is. So, were you? Did you feel like when you were growing up that you were a Texan? I did. You yeah. did. I mean, or I didn't think about it growing up, right? But once I moved to New York, I really owned it. And I missed it. And I think I got more into country music. I mean, I think it was always in the water kind of and sure. in my house playing. But I really got deep into it when I moved away from Texas when I was 20 and I moved to New York. And that's when I you really... You did a country record, right? Basically, almost? Something I've with a lot a of... i a few, yeah. Because like, I noticed, like, what was I listening to the other day? Did you cover... Um, I'll be your baby tonight. That Dylan song. Oh yeah, I did. It, that was like a B side. Yeah. Yeah, and and you did but, some Hank Williams songs. Yeah, and, and I have a couple. I have a country, a couple of different country bands I'm in. Kinda, yeah, and um, they're real fun. And how do you? So when did you start getting into into music? When did you feel like that was your mode of expression? How did that uh, un- reveal itself? I guess it just kind of happened. I I sang in church choir. Probably was the first thing. I was when like you were like what? Five, oh, four, really? five. And did, were people like, oh my God. <laughs> um, <laughs> she no. should be Nora Jones. No, <laughs> not quite. <laughs> but I will say I was very, um, I was kind of, you know, I didn't get shy and self-conscious until I was 11 or something. So when I was little like that and the choir teacher would tell us to open our mouths and sing out. Yeah. And I took it very literally and I did it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I ended up getting a lot of solos, you know. Right. Because I had, you know, maybe I had confidence and right. or and I had good pitch, probably yeah. a combination. And then 
Then I was in church choir till I was a lot older, and then I was in school choirs. But I, I started taking piano lessons when I was about seven, too. And um, how did that did that seem easy? I immediately wanted to quit because I really did <laughs> not want to practice all these dang scales. Nobody does. God, I hated all the practice. What's with the practice? Did your mom make you? She did something which, in retrospect, was pretty cool. She said, "Well, you begged me for piano lessons. I, I gave them to you. You can't quit for five years because." Because at least if you ever want to go back, you'll have a little bit of a base, uh-huh. like a foundation. Did she play anything? No. But uh-huh. she was like in musical theater. She was a dancer till she broke her ankle in college. She was in musical theater. How long stuff. was she with your dad? I think like nine years. Well, so she knew music. She knew that she world. She always loved music. I mean, growing up in my house was all Ray Charles and Aretha Franklin all the time. Really? Yeah. That was, was her jam. <laughs> not, not a lot of country. Where'd you get the I country? Mean, she, she liked country, yeah. a, a lot of Willie Nelson, but a lot of old soul music. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got the country probably from my grandparents. And they lived in Dallas? Uh, Oklahoma. So you had to go to Oklahoma. Like, this is like, it's very interesting that because <laughs> you seem, there, there's some like urban element to the, the Nora Jones thing, but obviously your your music is popular throughout the world with all types of people, but I, I somehow associate you because I don't know you and I, you know, I just met you i just read about you as like this jazz person i know i wouldn't say that's the most accurate label but you know because like so where do they live in oklahoma uh lawton so you drove you drive up there yeah with your mom yeah we'd listen to um you know linda ronstadt and willie linda nelson Ron- yeah and- yeah like George Jones, ain't George Short, Jones? Tons of George Jones. How is he? The, he's like the best. Oh my God, it's amazing. It that and to this day when I listen to that music, it's it's it hits me in a way that that is nostalgic and reminds me of it. You know, when music does that to you and it sure. takes you back to being a kid, and certain music takes you back to different places. But that stuff goes really deep for me because of my childhood. Yeah, George Jones is like, and his singing is so wild, isn't so it? beautiful. Have you like like I can't. Uh, why is he such a great singer? Is it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, because it's specific. There's a, like the way that he harmonizes and stuff. Uh, yeah. Is it like a, are you like a music? He's got those little turns in his voice. It's yeah, like yeah. those little twizzles that Dolly also has. Right. That um, you just do them. They're not like something. I mean, you can practice them and imitate people. That's how you learn them, sure. I guess. But they're, they're just these little isms that. Do you ever deconstruct it though? Like, where does that come from? Is that like a, a Appalachian thing? Is it an Maybe. Irish thing? Is it like how far back does it go? Do you get I lost in that shit? No, I don't. I don't think about stuff like that too much. I just sort of listen to it. I guess. Yeah, right. <laughs> Not your job. Yeah. Let the critics do that. Exactly. <laughs> That's their job. Have they done that to you? Have they Have they tracked your your <laughs> what you are the legacy of in I writing? I don't know. Maybe a little. I think I think I stopped paying attention to that stuff pretty early on because. You know that you can get too deep in that, and then just your head is full of weirdness. And right, because you you you're already probably self conscious on some level, and yeah, that just adds an exactly. Experience. Now you're self conscious in the language of that smart guy. Exactly. Maybe I am doing that. Maybe I am. You know, I went to college. I went to high school. I went to this amazing performing arts high school. Yeah. That's kind of where I really got deep into jazz, and fell in love with it, and started playing it, and then. I went to college for jazz, like jazz. So you start out in church choir, and you're 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 singing like that stuff. Well, in ju- yeah, elementary school that was all church choir, and then uh, when I got to junior high, yeah, I quit piano after five years exactly. Really? 
because I was like, it's the day, mom. I'm out. <laughs> Peace. <laughs> I just was so bad at practicing. I had the sweetest teacher, but I just could not take that, you know. But I had a great foundation. I had all these theory classes growing up. So that's in your head. Yeah, so I had a great education for right. music. So I was naturally predisposed to music, and I was highly musically educated. Right. Because <laughs> it was a really cool program where they taught you theory and everything. This is in high school? No, this is Did elementary you... school. Really? Yeah. And so I quit. And you I can read like, music real well? Not anymore. I haven't practiced at it lately, but, but I mean, I could read music. Yeah. But I wasn't like great at classical music. I right. love listening to it. It's beautiful, but I just don't have that discipline. So what happens in junior high? So I quit piano. Yeah. And then my mom took me to some big band concert at the University of North Texas. Just a general big yeah, band concert? general big band like concert. old style swing? Yeah, kind of. Stan Kenton, whatever? Kind of, but you know, they, they do a lot of progressive stuff too, like oh, newer stuff too. But right. I just, it was different and yeah. I'd never really checked it out. All those instruments. All those instruments, all the dudes. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah. You know, rock and roll dudes get into music for chicks. Yeah, yeah. I was like this little girl looking at this big band. I was boy crazy. I was yeah, totally boy right. crazy. This sounds a little weird, but... <laughs> Um, I really was uh, like I loved the music so uh -huh. much, and I thought it was so cool. And there was this one blonde chick, and I don't know who it was actually. Yeah. I wish I knew her name. And she was like a graduate student. She was directing the band. Uh -huh. and I was like, yeah, she was <laughs> that's cool. She was conducting. <laughs> she was conducting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I just dug it. It was cool. And so my mom got me a saxophone, and I joined. The, the band in school and I ended up doing marching band in high school. Really? Before I went to the performing arts high school. Did you have an outfit? It's the most sad, scary picture. <laughs> I, I might have burned it, but I think it might be on the walls of Grapevine High School still. Uh, yeah. With a hat? Oh, yes. And in Texas, it was so hot and we were marching in August and in these uh, polyester suits. It was yeah. like people were passing out like left and right, just yeah. dropping like playing flies. Like, like what were you playing? Like Watermelon Man or like... <laughs> Actually, we did Chicago, the music of Chicago. Oh, yeah? That band, yeah. Actually, Chicago's a pretty badass. Good horn section. Yeah, great horn section. It was great for marching band. So, did you become good at sax? I mean, I got a solo in the band thing, which I totally messed up when, when it came time to perform it. But um. But you couldn't really, like, did you, you, did you, like, I guess neither on piano or... On saxophone, you could find you couldn't improvise really. I mean, I was yeah, I was pretty young still. I was just getting there, and then yeah. my mom hooked me up with this cool piano teacher in Dallas named Julie Bonk, who is a jazz musician, and she opened my mind to just playing chords instead of reading notes and uh -huh. reading a chord chart and improvising over these chords and learning which scales to play over them. And she started me off doing that, which was pretty awesome. And so it was then, a whole change of thinking. Yeah. To totally different way of thinking about music and then and even she encouraged me to write songs which i did and i hated because they were so piano-y and i, I stopped <laughs> immediately they were so bad but then then my mom got me into this um arts magnet high school so jazz like you, you know when she when someone introduces you to jazz i like i like jazz i have a brain for it I'm afraid to go down that rabbit hole because if you, it's just huge. It's huge, and I, there's no way I can nerd out to that degree at this age. <laughs> and I don't have, I don't have enough years left. But I can listen to it, and I'm always amazed when I'm like, you know, this sounds different. That like, because like Lee Morgan, which I was just playing, yeah. I never knew that guy until like a month ago. Oh yeah. And someone gives me a Lee Morgan album, and I'm like, and I just put it on without really any preconceptions, That's no research. Good. 
And I'm like, this guy's got his own thing. And it's hard to identify that with bebop trumpet. Yeah. You know, like there are guys, there's Miles and there's other people that play horns. But when someone's sort of like, oh, you know, because the jazz riff, yeah, the bass line is, is what it is. But for someone to stand out, it's like, holy shit. Yeah, but, but, but there's great bass players who stand out just I know. playing bass, you know? I mean, I, it's, it, 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 it's, but you got to have the, the mind for it. Because I imagine to some people, it's like, no, oh, that shit sounds the same. Yeah, some people it does. Yeah. But I've, I bet if even those people, if you play them like really choice cuts, right. even they would be moved. And maybe not. But Well, what did that piano teacher t- uh, show you at that time? Like, what did she play for you that was like, made you understand that? She she mostly showed me how to think about it differently. But I remember my mom when I started getting into jazz. Yeah, she she went to the library and she rented the Smithsonian Jazz Collection. It, yeah, it was yeah. like this great compilation of all yeah. the best stuff, you know. And um, we totally dubbed it on cassette tape. And I oh, I remember that it was my Bible. I dubbed it on cassette. And, <laughs> that it was, was, and you had it, and you hope it, it didn't was, break. Yeah, and I had like maybe four cassettes because it was a huge collection, uh-huh. and it was kind of my Bible for a while. Do you remember who was on it, or what songs made the impression? Everybody was on it, but well, not everybody, but a lot of great stuff. But I remember this Charles Mingus cut um, Haitian fight song. Yeah, and I've since tried to like listen to it recently, and I I didn't realize it was like a weird live version that wasn't the most common version that comes up when you try to find it. But yeah. I used to do interpretive dance in my bedroom to it and it's just the coolest. And then this Billy Holiday version of of uh, these foolish things. I mean it just rips your heart out. Yeah. And yeah. Oscar Peterson's playing piano. I mean it was just great and, music. And those those two stand out in your head. Those two were my my jams. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like it well it's 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 funny cuz at that moment where you know you'd played some sax, you'd done some piano, you could sing that you know there there was probably a moment there where interpretive dance might have been it like you know you it could have it should have yeah <laughs> you probably made the right choice in terms of a career that that yeah. earns you money <laughs> maybe but, i don't know <laughs> jazz musician not high on the list usually <laughs> you've done all right i've done great i've been lucky well i think that i don't know why that is you know i don't well, I guess I understand why it is, but because it is so specific. But it does. There is so much range within jazz. Yeah. But it still takes a certain kind of person to move around popular music. Yeah. And and to get into that stuff to support it properly. Yeah. Because when you go to a jazz show, I mean, I saw Kamasi. You know, when he finished his tour here, it goes like his hometown show. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. Yeah, but he's a rock star now. Good. I mean, that's great. It's good for jazz, right? It's great for everyone in all respects. Yeah. I'm just saying, like most jazz musicians, don't have that. I know. That I heard. Reception. I, I heard from some of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Having been, you know, uh, uh, in, in comedy for a long time, you know, I understand bitterness. You do. There's a lot of yes. <laughs> oh my god. There's a real parallel there. You're right. Well, yeah, because yeah. you know, I got a few emails that sort of like, you know, Kamasi's fine, but maybe you should do your homework. Yeah. Maybe you should check this guy out. Yeah. Right. <laughs> this guy's been at it a lot longer. And I he's call a- them the jazz police. <laughs> I think that's their 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 cult. But you know know what much respect to them you know it's really hard to do something you love so much and just get no credit for i mean i get it yeah it's it's brutal i i can't imagine i mean i and i think that's a lot that's a big reason why i kind of stopped playing jazz i mean i love that music but, yeah but i wasn't really writing songs that were that style and eventually when i finally got back into songwriting it was because i had a guitar in my room and because everything else sounded too piano-y to me. Yeah. I played it on the piano and I played like, I knew four chords on a guitar. That's when all I, you need. When I moved to New York and I wrote um, 
songs uh, here that we go. were totally country. Oh, yeah. there's the yard guy. It w- I don't think it'll take long. That's fine. We're just going to keep talking right through it. I'll talk louder. <laughs> <laughs> it's improvisation. Yeah. That's, that's our baseline. Exactly. It's, 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 it's percussive, but it's, it's hard to work with. Yeah. Well, it's also interesting as a vocalist in jazz that I don't, like the limitations are, are sort of specific, right? I mean, you know, yeah. we're outside of, of being able to do what a vocalist does in any form, you know, where do you really, you know, how much can you improvise and, and take it out there? Well, it depends on what you're doing. Yeah. I, mean, I was never the kind of vocalist. I mean, I tried scat singing and I did that in high school and college. I was in these groups, but it just wasn't for me. Yeah. You know, and and in terms of playing music that's more out there, I love a lot of it. Yeah. I love Miles Davis in a silent way. That's one of my favorite albums of all time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, and, and I maybe someday I'll do something like that, but I, I don't know. I mean, when I was singing, I was just drawn to songs. Sure. Simple songs. Right. And so, yeah, you can take them out there. You can rephrase them. You can do all kinds of shit, but it's better if you just sing them from your heart and make the lyrics come to life and whatever happens with yeah. the notes happens right you know and that's, that's what I've learned over the years yeah is that you can try to take things out but that usually is sounds a little contrived right right you don't want to be a showboat where you just sort of like yeah. tricks it's tricks tricks like it's better to just convey the lyric heartfelt do you, yeah you know and when you say like you tried scat singing is, is oh that oh my god <laughs> but is that like a, like skeely a doobop right <laughs> but <laughs> But but is that like when you when you do scat singing? Do you try to integrate it into everything you sing? Like you know, I or, or it, I mean, it seems like a I didn't go thing. too far into it, but I mean, I have a girlfriend who can do it really well, actually. And when somebody can do it do it well and is like owning it and and believes in it and does it amazingly with all the breath and I everything, mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Ella Fitzgerald. I mean, yeah, yeah. she did it. I love it. Sure, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, but I mean, I don't need. It's, it's one of I the, can't do it. <laughs> it's one of those weird things that, like, there's only a few people that really do it. That you want to hear do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I'd rather just try to take a piano solo, you know? Sure. So when do you start, like, cavorting with jazz musicians? What was this experience in performing arts high school? Like, is it like, was it the Texas version of fame? I mean, how... <laughs> there were a few people like that, yeah. But it was... What disciplines were there? Because that, like, that's an immersion yeah. into creativity and expression. I mean, that's the point of those things. Is I imagine you've got theater over here and yeah. this over there, right? Yeah, it was so, theater, dance, um, visual arts, and then, uh, yeah. So music. everybody's sort of there. Everybody's and doing there, things. but everybody has their concentration. So yeah. if you're a dancer, you're a dancer. Yeah. So you wanted to be a music major. I want. I mean, I knew I played music. I think I auditioned for visual arts too because yeah. I just wanted to get into the school so bad. And I visual pa- arts I painted, like what? Oh, you did. I painted some and I made jewelry. I took this metal working class once and um, you soldered things. I soldered things. I still have my <laughs> '90s rings from that era. They're pretty Aww. chunky. Um, but so I got in for music and I always wanted to take a dance class because I went to this summer camp in Michigan in junior high, Interlochen. It's a big arts camp and yeah. I took a dance class just for fun and it was so fun but at my high school it was more just like the people who did dance did the dance sure. the people who did the music did the music and did they did you combine were there like were, did you back dancers was there that inter I don't remember that happening um, and if it did I w- maybe I wasn't involved the only time that did happen was was whenever we did the 
we did this black history program one February and everybody was, it was just extracurricular. So we were all doing it. And I played Billie Holiday and I sang Strange Fruit, which was crazy. And how old were you? I was maybe 16. Wow. I didn't know that song. When they said somebody needs to play Billie Holiday, I went into audition in front of everybody and I was so nervous. And, and I, you just chose that song? I didn't choose that song. I I didn't know that song yet. Yeah. Uh, and then she was like, great, you got the part. The song is Strange Fruit. And I was like, cool, what's that? And then she schooled me on it. And I was like, whoa, this is heavy. It is heavy. It is very heavy. What was your experience singing that song for the first time? Um, I think I was so young and I was so, you know, in my head probably. And, and we did four nights of shows. And the director, Nedra James, was a pretty amazing human and teacher yeah and she helped me kind of realize that it's not about fruit being yeah well yeah <laughs> but i mean it's not about being in my head and singing it right it's yeah. about the emotion and did you cry um i don't think i cried i think i was too nervous to cry i don't know how singers don't cry all the time <laughs> it seems emotional i mean some people do yeah well, i know some what singers you... who cry a lot really <laughs> yeah during the song or after after usually no not during after yeah. after I, I yeah the the vulnerability of singing is really kind of mind-blowing to me let me go see where he's at with that yeah let's just give him three minutes yeah no problem i didn't it's it's it happens it's not bothering me at all <laughs> but i think it might bother the listener and uh, I, the whatever more i draw i draw attention to it it's happened before but usually in my mind i'm like uh, that'll only be a couple minutes <laughs> But here we are talking about one of the most powerful songs ever written. And there's like... Bleh! Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Strange Fruit. Yeah. yeah. And then there's just a leaf blower blasting away. Well, what's your relationship with, with Billie Holiday? She's just always... She was one of my early favorites. And I mean, I was pretty obsessive listening to her growing up. Yeah. But I don't know if I got that layer of pain or depth until later. You know, I... In terms of accessing it, I mean, you didn't have to live that life. You didn't get strung yeah, out and busted. And exactly. In terms of just realizing how deep it went, you know. How do you realize that stuff as a singer? You don't have to realize all the pain to really let it touch you, I guess. You know no, what I mean? No, I understand that. You don't yeah. have to live it to to, to interpret it. Yeah. Uh, in that, you know, all you can do as an artist is, I think, engage your own heart to you know what whatever your capacity is exactly and it touches you in whatever way it sure touches you. sure and and i think that you know what it conveys coming out of you is going to be different yeah. than i mean I, I i guess that's the power of being an interpreter in, yeah. in as a vocalist and that's why people can relate to the same thing in so many in their own way you know so you go through this program in high school uh -huh. and then you continue to study you're singing you're doing you're learning that you have this natural talent and that you can apply it and and all that <laughs> you learn to play guitar four chords at some point yeah and then what do you do for college i went to north texas um which is real texas Woman. Yeah. Well, hey, man, state school. Sure, I get you. I, it was too expensive to go Absolutely. to where I, I wanted to go to the new school or right. Something. Go but, to New York. Yeah, I wanted to go to New York since I was so young. Yeah, yeah. So, so when you go to college, what is it? Just more specifically music? It's I. I was a jazz piano major. Really? So you went back to the piano? I actually, I was in in high school. I was also a jazz piano major because we had to have like a. So after you quit the lessons, you still I did went it. Back. Yeah, I went yeah. back with that jazz teacher, Julie, and then I, I did piano in in high school. Yeah. So I, I was quit for maybe a year. 
And that's when I kind of started playing the saxophone and then started realizing that that wasn't really my thing. So you're, you you go to college and you're playing the piano, you're jazz piano. Now are you, who are your heroes of jazz piano? Like who, like? Mm, like Bill Evans. Yeah? Yeah. What about, what about Monk? Punk, Monk. Punk. Bonk, Bill, bonk. Oh my god, he's the best. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of that bonk bonk, but there's some really beautiful stuff and and uh, Duke Ellington. Those are my three big. Well, that's a pretty good range. They're they're all you go so from good. like traditional to to bebop to like out there. Yeah, but they all you know me. I'm like a ballad lover, right. and so I you know I tend to gravitate towards a lot of their more mellow, more melodic stuff. And w- when do you really figure out playing and singing? I think that that first year I was in college, I got this gig at this Italian restaurant called Popolo's in Dallas. Yeah. And I would do every Friday and Saturday night playing and singing. Yeah. Well, it was mostly a piano gig, but they let me sing because they liked the way I sing. So this was your first paid musician gig? Yeah, I got 100 bucks every night plus tips. And sometimes I would get a lot of tips and sometimes I would get no tips. And I got a free meal. And but this was your job. You're like, I'm a working musician. I'm was, playing an Italian. I'm in the corner. Yeah, it was awesome because I didn't have to get a job in college because that job actually paid my rent and everything. Really? And were you writing songs at the time? No. Yeah, you were just doing traditional. I still was afraid of writing songs because of my horribly embarrassing songwriting in high school on the piano scarred scarred yeah it was cheesy too cheesy and um it must be hard to really figure that out to cross the line because i imagine that you probably think some of your bigger songs might be a little cheesy sometimes in retrospect or no i don't know i mean i'm not saying that they are what are you saying no 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 i'm just saying that (laughs) As an insecure, creative person, yeah. like when I look back at my stuff, yeah, it's hard for me not to be like, well, that was me, but I that could have... Yeah. yeah, I'm different now. <laughs> I'm way cooler now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I wouldn't have done that turn of phrase that yeah. way. Certainly yeah. there's things like that, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, in college, I was just working on playing piano and... Um, Do people come up to you and go like, I saw you at the Italian restaurant? No, because it was pretty far. <laughs> but, but people were jealous i had guys who would sub for me if i couldn't do it and it was a good gig yeah. because of the money and and the you know the food sure and it was short it was like two and a half three hours and um that's really it's really i mean i could sing and i could play the piano but it was really like you know chewing gum and walking like whatever juggling. yeah it's like it's, that moment where you learn how to yeah trying to be conscious of it yeah putting it together took yeah. a minute for yeah sure and so that was the best practice i could ever have because i'm a horrible practicer I've never been good at just sitting in a room and practicing. So for me, like a shitty gig is the best practice. Really, you didn't. You, and by you, shitty gig, I mean a gig like a low pressure gig. You know. That's interesting. You never. You weren't a big practicer. I'm just not good at it, and I think that's why I was drawn to jazz because of the improvisation and nothing has to be perfect. And right. It could be loose, and you can vibe it out, and you can right. feel how you're feeling. Right. You know? But your education was in place. You knew where you were going and how it worked. Yeah, I knew yeah. how it worked. Sure. I just didn't want to. Why ruin practice. it over practice? <laughs> of course, there's some amazing jazz musicians who lock themselves in a room and practice all day every day and they're amazing but that's why i never had a ton of chops right because i don't practice that thank much. god you had a voice right <laughs> yeah it, it was kind of nice the way it lays out and just kind of yeah, put them sure. together and they equal something good well, well i think that I, I i'm a strong believer in in being skilled and knowing your talent and not over ringing it like i i believe that because yeah. i i think that there's a, there's a, an impulsive rawness there that you know, you can't get when you're over-practiced. I, that's how I've always felt. I hate rehearsing my bands 
are always laughing at me because they want to like practice the song one more time. I'm like, no. Yeah, you guys do it. I hate rehearsing so much because it like because it, it it's it it's hard. I would imagine even in touring that to drift into autopilot if you yes. can get away with it. You may not yeah. be one to do that. No, it's so it's so nice to to play a song and be spontaneous. Right. And and being on tour, you have to find your groove within all that, within playing a lot of the same songs every night and try to you know get your energy from the audience and change right. it up without just trying to change it on purpose and yeah, like yeah, yeah, still like, being heartfelt about it. Sure, you don't want to be, you know, like Bob Dylan where people are going like what song is What it? song is this? And you're 20 minutes into something exactly <laughs> yeah I, I i appreciate him more and more as a performance artist <laughs> he's so good yeah exactly he really is a good one. <laughs> oh, he's great yeah. it's like he's just like some days it's fuck you yeah <laughs> so you know it's it's a he's yeah like, he still does it he have you met him on tours he lives out there yeah i mean he must love it he, I, it's it's something <laughs> i i don't something. like it's it's maintaining that connection yeah you know, with an audience is like something in what I do that if I get away from that, yeah, you, you know, you can get scared. Yeah. Then you get nervous right. all of a sudden. But if you're out there doing it all the time, sure. it becomes your rapport and then you're loose and you can try new things and right. you're not too scared to do that. So when do you make the jump to like, you know, being the big uh, Jasbo person? I mean, after college, what happens for you that well, leads to that huge first record? Well, I dropped out of college because... Really? Well, I, maybe my second year in college, I realized I was taking all my music classes and none of my academics that I needed for my degree. Mm -hmm. And I think what I... What was the degree? The jazz studies. But you oh, okay. still got to take English and sure. whatever yeah. else, right. you know? I didn't take any of that. Yeah. I took all my music classes in the first two years. And you're like, I'm done. I got what I needed. Well, I was like faced with the reality of if I want to get a degree then I'm going to have to really hate hate all this for a while. And I also failed my classical piano jury, my first one. So yeah. I was like, all right, I'm going to go to New York for the summer and see how it is. And I had my, I had um the 71 Sedan DeVille Cadillac uh, from high school. My mom was nervous about me driving in Texas. So here's a tank. Yeah. Because yeah. the speed limit is like 80, 80 yeah. miles per hour. And there's a lot of open roads. Yeah, yeah, it's back a lot. Then. Yeah. So she wanted me to have a tank. So I had this awesome Cadillac yeah and um my sophomore year or my freshman year actually uh one of the older musicians said hey hey there's these guys at the the Marriott they they're coming to do a clinic these musicians from New York can you go pick them up you have the only car big enough for all the gear <laughs> yeah and so my Cadillac kind of was fate for me mm -hmm. and I picked up these musicians and it was Kenny Walson and Mark Johnson was doing a base clinic and yeah. uh, I meet these two guys who are just kind of friends with them and traveling cross country and met them there this right. is in Denton Texas where I went to college and their names are Jesse Harris and Richard Julian and they all got a kick out of me because I had this Cadillac and I'm right, like this right. little you know 19 year old jazz piano major and I'm like cool I'll show you around town here's yeah. the record store right. and they're trying to show me cool records I'm like I know that one and they just thought I, they got a kick out of me right. you know what a pip this yeah, kid is yeah this girl yeah, yeah. you know and then um so I'm sitting there at the clinic with these two songwriters, uh, these two guys that were just kind of tagging along with the jazz musicians. I was like, so what do you guys do? And they're like, we're songwriters. And I'm like, what is? What the heck? Who are you? Like, yeah. I've never heard fancy pants. I've never heard of that yeah, as yeah. a profession. Right. Like I didn't even think that far ahead. Yeah, you know? yeah. 
And so there are these singer-songwriters in New York, and I ended up later that summer going on a trip to New York and visiting them. And they Who are they? Are they people? Uh, Jesse and Richard, they're just New York songwriters. Still around? Yeah, definitely. And um, they kind of changed my world around. And then the next summer when I ended up moving to New York and dropping out of college, they kind of showed me around. And I ended up doing a band with Jesse, and my country band is with Richard. And Jesse wrote Don't Know Why, which was my big breakout hit. And so my first record was a lot of Jesse's songs and only a couple of my songs and a lot of my bass player Lee Alexander songs. And and it was my first time really sort of trying to explore just like songwriting and different experimenting with different styles and um So it, when you said it ended up just being my first record. So with Jesse I mean, that's a, a tremendous opportunity, obviously, for a young songwriter. And yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't guess either of you knew what was no, going to happen. No, had no it. clue. <laughs> and, and what was, because you said when you met them, you're like, oh, that's a thing. And, and, and like, wow, that's a job. That's a world. So you get into this world. Yeah. And how closely did you work with him on those first songs? Well, I mean, I mean, I, we, we basically started playing. He got me, first thing he did was to get me to sing some demos of his songs. Uh-huh. And I put one of those demos on this set of jazz demos that I ended up taking to Blue Note Records. Because uh-huh. some uh, this woman, this mutual friend's wife worked at EMI and she saw me singing jazz standards in New York, which is what I was doing at first. Where? At like restaurants, uh-huh. like the garage. And so you're like a lounge singer. Kind of, but it's more like jazz brunch. I mean, this is why I kind of stopped doing those gigs and started playing in the singer-songwriter clubs where I didn't get any money, Yeah, but I got a an excited audience, it's even in- if it was 20 people. It's interesting that that world uh, that you kind of like, there, there's a benefit to, to having the experience of performing for aud- audiences, but there is a cheesiness to that. Like I talked yeah. to Joanna Newsom about playing harp, which yeah. is a very limited bit of business. <laughs> exactly. Like, you know, either you're going to play at a brunch or a weird event, yeah. be the harpist in the corner, mm-hmm. or you can figure out how to get out of that. Exactly. But you can stay there for life. Yep, and many do. Yeah, and and I wasn't quite on the level of playing at the cool jazz clubs where there were, there were good audiences there. But, but where did the EMI woman see you? Um, the garage. It's like a place in the West Village, jazz brunch. She she asked if I want to meet with Bruce Lenvall at EMI at Blue Note Records, and he's and, the big shot. Yeah, and I'm like, well, hell yeah. <laughs> did you know who he was and everything? I knew a lot about Blue Note, and I knew he was the big shot there. Had he been for a long time? I don't know the yeah, history of Blue Note. Yeah, he had been, and he ended up being a real good mentor and a, one of my best friends. And so he had been, you know, ushering jazz into the world for decades kind of thing? Kind of. He revived Blue Note in the 80s. Okay. And then... And, and did that whole, all those reissues, I he imagine. He did all those reissues. Well, yeah, and, and then, like, brought a lot of great music. In the 90s, jazz had this great kind of resurgence. And, yeah. And I played him a couple demos, plus the song of Jesse's I had done. And, he, and he's like, do you want to be a jazz singer or a pop singer? Because that Jesse song is kind of different. That's not really yeah. jazz. Yeah. And I'm thinking, uh, well, I moved here. To, I've been wanting to be a jazz singer for the past eight years or whatever. Yeah. And so he gave me, he could tell I couldn't quite, I didn't quite know what I wanted to do yet. He gave me some money to do some demos. Uh-huh. And so I did some demos. Yeah. And I was like, well, I could do all these jazz songs, but Billie Holiday did them great already and you know a gazillion people since have done them right and so let's explore we have this money to do these demos let's explore this project i got with jesse and lee and so i had a couple songs to throw into the mix my four chord guitar songs yeah and (laughs) even though i'm playing piano on it and we do these demos and they kind of end up becoming my first record and he decides that he wants to sign me and we finish them and that's the thing for my first record 
It was that was a Blue Note record. It was a Blue Note record, and so it got pigeonholed as jazz. And it was there were jazz moments on it for sure. Sure. And I, that's where I come from. But not all of it I could say was completely jazz. I mean, there was just songs. You were this perfect storm of of maybe bringing those worlds together. Yeah, I definitely wasn't a straight up, you know, avant-garde jazz record at all. No, but even yeah. even uh, if it were standards, mm-hmm. it would not have done what it did. Yeah, standards have been done and they're sure. beautiful. And but you've done some. It's I, fine. I love them. Yeah, but the the choice to kind of go with this other thing and yeah. bring all the, you know, your history with jazz into it created this record that was huge. Yeah, it was bananas. <laughs> <laughs> That's my new favorite word because my son just thinks bananas are funny. So, so but like that at that time, I mean, that thing won like five Grammy awards. It like it, it was a huge selling record. It probably still sells. I just bought it. So, <laughs> but I actually have. I actually bought it like six or seven. I don't know when I bought it, but I it's had okay. it. Then, when yeah. did I buy that record? Two thousand two. That's when it came out. That's when it came out. And then it, the Grammys happened about a year later at two thousand three. What happens then? You go out on tour. Yeah. You have the biggest record in the world. Yeah. You have all this amazing attention. And that first tour, when you look out into that those audiences, who are you seeing? I don't know. I mean, the, the, the audiences grew, grew, grew. There, it was a pretty random selection. Really? Yeah. It was, I mean, there were a lot of older people. There were a lot of younger people. It was very random. And I think um, we were just on tour pretty much for constantly for about a year and a half maybe two years that's what you do right yeah and we were riding the wave and i had a few little nervous breakdowns along the way anything major not too bad i'm pretty together (laughs) but i mean for me it was like a lot you know yeah 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 how old were you i was 22 when Mm -hmm. it came out and then i was 23 when it like was crazy and dealing with stuff in the press and my dad and my mom and that was stuff I didn't wasn't really prepared to deal with. What they the press was bringing it up or you were just dealing with that personally? Just personally, yeah. I had just gotten to know my dad again and I was having a great time, you know, being super close with him, but you know, family um history and and stories and specifics don't translate in in small snippets in the press and it's not like Nobody was happy. <laughs> really? Yeah. My family was always giving me shit on both sides. Just for what? For, exactly. It's nothing bad. <laughs> I mean, it's not their fault. It's not their fault. It's just, it became, you know, oh, absent father. It's like, well, that's not completely, you know, it's complex. It's a family, you know, family stuff is complex. And it is. But when you regroup with, with your father or you ch- make the choice yes. to have that relationship, once it seems that, you know, achieving your own success might have had some part in you feeling like a whole person and able to do that yeah or or the headline reads oh the daughter of and then my mom's like well what about me me? i did all the hard work you know that's what i'm saying it was like oh my god you know and i'm caught in the middle of all that well it's a trickier story i understand her her her, uh resentment yeah i do too and it's all good now but it was it was tough at the time for me to just kind of like yeah, it's hard when you have a father that, you know, showed the Beatles. What, exactly. <laughs> what, what, of course what, people want to talk about yeah, that. What Indian music is. <laughs> exactly. And change the entire trajectory of George Harrison's yes. mind. Yeah. That, that That's sort of rich. Exactly. You get it. Yeah. And it, did she ever find peace with it? Oh, yeah. she. I mean, I mean, my mom cooked dinner for my, my dad and my stepmom many times over the last 10 years of his life. And it's all good. But, you know, in the beginning, it was just weird well yeah I, 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 yeah I bet it was weird having all that 
and also in having public. this amazing right and then as, and on alongside of that you're having this amazing <laughs> success yes and you got to deal with this like oh my god it was so weird but it was great i mean i was so lucky and i mean there were amazing moments meeting ray charles and you played with him right i got to play with him after but the first time i met him i was it was some elton john tribute show i got to meet elton john too it was amazing but like i i remember meeting ray charles in some parking lot and just bawling my eyes out you know really yeah and like how did that happen well he played and so he was leaving and i was just Just, there so i got to meet him did you run out into the parking lot or no i think his manager at the time i was already doing really well so his manager let let us meet and then i got to sing with him after that i mean it was incredible oh what did you sing i sang um, with him i sang um that old tune it was on that duets album um here we go again it's an old one he recorded back in the day but and getting to open up for willie nelson right before my record came out when nobody knew who i was the first record yeah that was the biggest deal because he's my ultimate hero right willie yeah yeah i mean talk about a jazz guitar player i mean he plays like django it's unbelievable yeah he's that that his guitar playing is unbelievable yeah and he's kind of like my idol and he's the perfect example of someone who to me is genreless even though he's so country right and also jazz which record do you like gravitate towards the most redhead stranger right i grew up on it that's such an amazing thing that record so good and and then i got there there was a box of his rarities that i found to be like really amazing the demos yeah i love that oh my god beautiful you know his evolution like you know what you know he's always remained true to himself but those those demos and those rare cuts Mm -hmm. like as a songwriter the songs themselves right permanently lonely yeah the darkness in some of them hello walls oh my god (laughs) yeah I still cry when I see him and Neil play. <laughs> oh. I, I've seen them play so many times and I still get like, I cry every time. <laughs> but that's interesting that you say those two guys because more than almost any other artist that even though they, Willie of several and in, in actually Neil too over several periods of sound, you know, their, their songbooks for the most part are timeless. So good. Like you can't you can't tie them to a time. No. Like and that was a that's a tough thing to do in the sixties that all those Neil Young records oh, yeah, in the sixties and seventies they're they're not hinged to to gimmick or production to the point where you're like, it doesn't matter when this was made. Yeah. It's transcendent. It's so good. <laughs> so let's talk about I'd I'd like to you know, I mean, you I just I listened to your latest record, it's great, and I and I listened to um the one you did before that, the fall. I, I mean, I know you, you you write some songs, and the more songs are written on some records, and that you know producers make a difference. But I'm curious about if if we could talk about it. You know what you how you caught up with your dad, and and how you appreciate you know his contribution to to music, or had it had any impact on you? Um, I think I'm sure you've been asked that before. Yeah, but level. I never have enough time to actually explain it properly. Okay, you we know have what time. I mean? <laughs> um, I didn't grow up listening to his music a lot because he wasn't around. I think, you know, whenever I was 18 and we sort of got reunited, yeah. I, I ended up going on tour with him for a few weeks to just hang out with him really? and my half sister, who I met for the first time when I was 18. How old is she? She's two years younger than me. And wow. We're super close now and it's awesome. It's like we both grew up only children, kind of. Yeah. And I always wanted a sister and yeah. now we have it. And now we've known each other almost, you know, as long as we didn't know each other. So it's nice. And she's a musician. 
and she's an amazing musician and we have a very weirdly similar life you know huh. Because we're musicians and we tour and we have kids and everything. What types of music does she play? She plays the star. She learned from my, oh, she right, learned from my right. dad. Traditional Indian music in a way. And she learned from my dad. Right. So very different right. upbringings right. in musically. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Very interesting and very, you know, different. Yeah. Um, and so so when I was touring around with them when I was 18, yeah. I was just kind of sitting in the audience and watching them play on stage together. Yeah. And it was really my introduction to that music and- I mean, seeing him live was the most amazing thing. It's interesting because it doesn't, like in the Western brain, even in the jazz brain, the way one postures with that instrument mm -hmm. and the way that the, the, the other musicians situate themselves is completely unique. It's like totally you're, you're already in a different time zone. Yeah. And I don't, you know, over the years I've learned a little bit. He taught me a few things. Uh -huh. I know he, he always wanted to teach me stuff, but he was a, he didn't want to, you know, uh -huh. it, it was a polite thing a little bit. And then finally we got in the room one day and he taught me some stuff. It was fun. It was awesome. But, you know, it's not my, it's not what I do. It's not what I'm going to do. Sure. That kind of music, I really love listening to it. And I, I really enjoyed learning a little bit more about the, technical aspects of what they're doing because you can tonally well it's like these ragas it's like a different thing yeah it's like a song but it's not at all like a song it's right. a whole different way of of a form and all that so yeah and they're long they're long very long yeah but you know it's beautiful music it's just i don't need to understand it to to love it you know and and how did the relationship like you know what gave way in your heart to 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 build that that relationship with him did it influ did it was it part of your evolution as a singer too like i mean because i know we talked mm -hmm. about just in the sense mm -hmm. that when you talk about evolving and and connecting your voice to your heart and yeah. having that mm -hmm. you know and that that thing grows you know with you yeah all your experiences yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah like did was there a, was there a tangible moment where you realized that like you know I I accept you know this relationship and my father and 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 whatever happened is what it is. And yeah, there were a few moments like that, and you know it got a little complicated with my su success at the time. With him? Well, just with everybody, yeah. it just got weird for a minute. But um, I think we all worked through it, and it was, you know, we knew our relationship. Uh huh. And. To me, that's what mattered. Yeah, you know, not setting the record straight anywhere, or it's too complicated. For, yeah, it's nobody's business either. You know, it's like sure, I don't want people in my family shit. You know, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And that's what was weird about it, right? So anyway, yeah. Over the years, we really we so, got to be a really nice little family. Yeah, and it was great. And you know, for me, having that relationship with my sister was pretty awesome, and and kept me coming back even more and and my dad was really funny and fun person yeah. to be around you yeah know? but i i also felt like I, ha I got to know him a little bit through my sister and my stepmom too put you some know? stuff together totally yeah yeah, yeah. like then, it's a whole side of your your genetics yeah that has a, a completely different history yeah yeah it's fascinating i know to, to get that all at once i can't even imagine it you know, to all of a sudden be yeah. decide to welcome yourself in and allow it to yeah. happen, and then be given all that, like, and then to go to India with him and realize that he's like a king, <laughs> you know, pretty much. And you went to India with him. Yeah, I went to India with him a few times, and um, I mean, just that whole side of my history. You know, India is this 
Talk about Texas being a country. I mean, India is... I've always wanted to go. I've always been nervous. It's Yeah, it's an intense place to visit, to be honest. But it's amazing and it's beautiful. And the fact that I'm half Indian, yeah. it's like... But I grew up totally separate from all that. Texan. So I'm a Texan. <laughs> I'm a, it, it was weird to go to India. Yeah. I mean, I related to it and it was beautiful, but it was just so weird to like think, oh... I'm half this, but yeah. I don't really know it that well. So show me around, you know? Right. I'm still, you know, learning. Yeah. <laughs> I'm far from uh, well, yeah, knowing always, it all. Oh, yeah. I would imagine, you know, uh, there's so many different levels just to the culture and to whatever religions were, you know, yeah. involved. But do you ever, do you ever talk to your sister about recording? Well, I've recorded with her a few times you on have. her records, yeah. And we had a lot of fun on this one record, um, actually writing a couple songs together. And it was right after my dad died. And so I think for us, it was nice to kind of connect in that way. Which record is that? Um, it's a couple... Of, she makes so many records. It's um, She just put out an awesome record last year called Land of Gold. It was... I'm not sure if it was the one before that or the one before that, actually. Uh-huh. What's her name? Anushka Shankar. And you sing on like three of her records? I think I've done two records with her. I, yeah. Have you ever had her play on yours? No. Not yet? Not yet. Where I mean, you? I love her. She's incredible. You should see her live sometime. I will. The sitar is a very specific sound. It is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it, you, there's no hiding it. There's no hiding it. And she's done a really great job of just like, she's she's gone into a lot of different genres and different things and she's really found her voice she's she's amazing she have kids and stuff yeah she got two little kids yeah it's been fun kind of going through all that together well that's exciting yeah and then the last record you is is great i enjoyed it and you're gonna tour is this what happening now yeah in march Mm -hmm. and you're just going all over the states yeah states and europe and japan how the crowds great yeah. Yeah, it's been it's been interesting like over the years my performing you know relating to the crowds. I yeah. wasn't always great at yeah. it. And Do you talk to them? Hit and miss. I yeah. hate you know, I hated talking, then I talked too much, and then I talk less now because I hate <laughs> when I talk too much yeah, on yeah. stage. I yeah. find it kind of annoying, but yeah, it's great. The crowds have been amazing. And do you do you play like a sort of the whole catalog bits yeah, and pieces? Yeah, definitely. And it's pretty cool. I mean, all these kids were kids in their twenties or thirties. Yeah, they come up and they're like, "Oh, I used to listen to you when I was a kid." I'm like, "Holy shit, I'm old. What the <laughs> fuck are you talking about?" But um, it makes sense because my first record came out almost fifteen years ago. And the last record was really what your sixth record? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I got some country bands and put out a bunch of stuff with. What are they called? The Little Willies. Okay. And Puss in Boots. <laughs> yeah, do you ever tour with them? <laughs> yeah. When you play these bigger shows and you're out on tour, what what um, covers do you lean on? What what are your favorite like covers do you repeat? It just depends on the What's the the, the stables? Lately the staples. we've been doing Must Have Been the Roses, the Dead Tune. Yeah. That one always gets a lot of love and um people miss Jerry. They do. And <laughs> they love him and it's pretty it's a great song too. it is a great song yeah and um we've been doing that leonard after leonard cohen died and the political stuff was hitting the fan well, yeah still hitting the fan but um oh it's gonna be hidden for a while <laughs> i know but when it was right before the yeah when, oh it was right after the election yeah. yeah and he died that week and it was just so crazy and we were doing everybody knows that leonard cohen oh, dude. i've been listening to that god it really hits home oh, right now <laughs> it's kind of crazy it's, it's the crazy. lyrics it's funny how lyrics can be timeless well he's real good at 
at that. And it's yeah. taken me a long time to really appreciate it. Uh, you know, just how that stripped down the poetry is, but how so good. succinct it is. Well, and all those old political songs from the 60s and everything, or even before, like, stuff translates today because the same it's crap always, happens. It's, it's always you know? the same. It's always going to be relevant in a weird yeah, way. Absolutely. It's human. Yeah. It's a human. The, those are the human uh, emotions and struggles. Yeah. And it's a shame, but it's also beautiful that we have that music. Absolutely. All right. Well, did you have fun? You feel good? I do. Thank you for talking to me. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Well, that was pleasant. Okay. Breathe. Breathe it out. Breathe. This is what Sarah makes me do. Okay. Guitar. Oh, okay, hold on.